We've got uh, there's some things I want to talk about that I think that are common to man, something that we all struggle with. And, you know, I, I always say that God had, uh, had us to marry uh, our spouse, and he set it up that we all marry, or not everybody, but, you know, getting married is a way, and I, and I believe this, and, and, I, and I really see it in, in lives, marriage is a, is a way to get a lot of our selfishness out, under control or out of our lives. How many of you know the granddaddy of all sin is selfishness? All sin emanates from self. And I don't know that we totally ever get completely delivered from self. I just don't know that we ever really do. And, uh, you know, ask your spouse and they say, no, you haven't. <laughs> no. But, uh, just kidding. But, you know, we, we all struggle with selfishness. I mean, I know that I find myself, I'm, a, I'm just, that, that was just me being selfish. That's what that was. And it's ugly, and I hate it, and it's bad. Anybody been there and done that? We've all been selfish. Selfishness is a major challenge and struggle. And, and sometimes it's... And, and so I want to just... My title tonight is just recognizing spiritual entitlement. That we're just entitled to be however we want to be. Well, no, we're not. We're not entitled to live and feel and act any way we want to. Can I get an amen? amen. Jesus died on the cross... So that we could live a holy life. I don't know what's going on with that thing. It feels real unstable. And, uh, but God wants us to be living for others, not ourselves. I'm going to prove that to you with the scripture tonight. So let's just go ahead to Philipp- Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. I'm going to start out there. I'm going to really, uh, I'm going to kind of quote it from the New American Standard after I read it in the King James. But we'll go there in the King James first. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. And that word strife, is synonymous with selfishness. How many know selfishness will always cause strife? Other translations don't translate it strife. It can also be translated selfishness. So it says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And the New American Standard sounds a little bit more like this. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. Regard others more important than yourself. You know, this flesh is a selfish thing. Like I said, the granddaddy of all sin. Today, we live in a very, very selfish world. And you can turn, and that, I'm just going to hit some scriptures here to start. I'm just going to lay a little bit of a groundwork, a little bit of a framework. So turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. We're going to look at something there, and we're going to say this, uh, that men shall be lovers of their own selves. And I find it very interesting. You know, it says this, we all know this verse of Scripture really well. This know also that in the last days perilous times will come. And at the top of the list, and I, I, I believe the reason why it's at the top of the list is because it causes all the others. Just like... You know, you, you can look at that and you can see the things that are in that list. Lovers of self all have a basis in selfishness. Now, you can go to the fruit of the Spirit and it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Everybody say love. And then it gives all the things that really emanate from love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, 
faith, meekness, temperance, or self-control. But then you look at this one, in the last days, perilous times, it's almost an antithesis of the fruit of the Spirit. This know that in the last days, perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of them, their own self. Now, see, and you look at that, Galatians, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit and uses the word, the word love, that's agape love. Agape love has nothing to do with feelings. It has everything to do with giving yourself out to other people. Can I get an amen? So we have two ends of the spectrum that the fruit of the Spirit is love and all these wonderful things, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, self-control, and, and all these things. And then, then you got over here, things are going to go bad. It's going to be the last days. And we're going to start out why it's going to be so rotten is because people are going to love themselves over everything else. This is Pastor Bill paraphrase. I think you get my point. And so we love our own selves. And I want to say, and what will emanate from that, you could say, is covetousness. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. And that's not necessarily talking about homosexuality. That's talking about being able to be a 12-year-old and cut your mother's head off. Stuff that we're seeing these days. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness and denying the power thereof from such turn away. But it starts out with loving yourself. With a perverted type of love for yourself. Putting yourself above everything, everybody, and all that there is. Selfishness is the ugliest thing that you'll ever encounter in this life. And there's one thing that you need to get delivered from. It's yourself. Can I get an amen, somebody? Lovers of self. That is sickening. That is, that is perverted. When, you, when I am the most important person in the room. No, we should be the servant of everybody else in the room. Can I get an Amen. Men will be lovers of their own selves. And you know, we celebrate that today. We're about ready to vote it in as the number one most important person in our nation. Narcissism, egotism, pride, know-it-all, think you're better than everybody, put everybody else down, brag about yourself, exalt yourself. See, Lucifer said, I'll exalt myself above the throne. I mean, you know, that's a that's a indicative of self-love. They'll be lovers of self in the last days. Boy, we're seeing that all over the place, aren't we? As I look at that, you can see that it's viewed as a virtue even. Kids are taught it even in competition in sports. Kids are taught, it's all about you. You know, whatever happened, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. Regard others things more important than your own. It's all about me. It's all about me being... And, you know, I, I think sports are great. I like sports because it teaches teamwork. It teaches discipline. It teaches submission to authority. It teaches a lot of things. But if it gets too much about self, and you can ask my family, I, it's like, you need to get off your attitude right now. Or you're going to have an appointment with Rodney. We all know who the rod named Rodney is. It's almost like a virtue. It's the biggest, it's the, it's the biggest time in history where people, you know, a, a magazine called Self, it, and, and it's, it's, it's extolled like it's some type of virtue or something. 
Like selfishness is good. Like talking about yourself and exalting yourself, it's ugly. It's not right. Turn with me to James 3 and 16. And it produces bad results. I like looking at these, these verses, and we're just laying a foundation right now. James 3 and 16, it says this. It says, where there is envy and strife. And again, when you get into the Greek, you'll find out that these can be translated. And, and the New American Standard says, where there's selfishness and ambition exists, there is disorder and every evil thing. When you have selfishness, you have disorder. Because everybody wants to be the chief and, there is no, and nobody wants to be the Indians. How many of you that's going to create a lot of disorder? Selfish ambition. There's disorder. And every evil thing. Again, when you start with selfishness, in the last days men will be lovers of self. Then it gives this long list, covetous, haters of God, you know, all, all this stuff and, and wicked and, and, all, and all these things without natural affection, incontinent and, and all these things it says. But it starts with self. And as you look at that, and it says there will be disorder there's selfishness and every evil thing. Selfishness is the, is the foundation for all other things to be built on. Because selfishness is all about me and it doesn't care about anybody else. It's all about me and nobody else. Now, you can even, you can even look and, uh, I don't know, but I, I've been in you know, rooms with what I call bratty or selfish kids. And they're really, they're really the model. You go to a room with an undisciplined child, the toys will be all over the floor. They'll be thrown all over the place. Things will be all tore up because uh, they've never been made to pick anything up after themselves. And there's disorder. Toys are all over the floor. They're too selfish to clean it up. And uh, they feel entitled. That's somebody else's job to pick up after me. You know, we got adults like that. But children can be a real model of what the tree looks like before it gets pruned and the and the steel post is put next to it and straightened up. And, and every kid starts out, how many of you know, every kid starts out that way and they don't have to be taught it. They're all that way. Everyone. All kids are like that. They can't help it. They're born with a sin nature. They're born with a selfish nature. What, what's, but what's sad is when parents allow them to keep that and grow up that way instead of spanking it out of them. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. And if you look up foolishness, go through the book of Proverbs and look up foolishness. And how many of you know there are hundreds of references to foolishness and fools in the book of Proverbs? Just read it sometime. And foolishness is bound up in the heart of child. In other words, foolishness is all those things in Proverbs. A fool utters all of his mind, it says, but a wise man keeps it until afterwards. A fool is lazy and won't work. A fool won't receive correction. And a fool never, never uh, admits that he's you know, wrong and always thinks he's right. A fool won't shut his back. And you can go on. And, and all those things in the book of Proverbs that talks about the fool, all of it's bound up in the heart of your child. And you're going to have to spank it out of him, the Bible says. The rod of reproof will drive it far from him. How many want that driven far from your kid? Amen. But a, an uncontrolled child where there's selfishness, Okay, it says there's disorder in James 3.16. Like toys all over the floor. Nobody picks it up. That's somebody else's job. Then it says there's every type of evil. Now, I've seen it where children are in a room. See, you really kind of get, a child is really the picture of an adult 
stripped down to his bare who he is before he gets saved and before he gets trained. Looking at children really tells you about the heart of man. It says even a child is known of his ways. Can I get an amen? How many know the Bible says that? A child is really a stripped away all good manners, stripped away all good training, stripped away before they're born again, really gives you an insight into the heart and the selfishness of mankind because they don't even know any better. And, and the thing is, at that age, they're not ashamed of it. And it says where there's selfishness, and in small children, there's selfishness because they don't know yet. They, don't, they haven't been trained yet. And I'm not, no blame on kids. That's just the way kids are. My kids, your kids, everybody's kids. Children model selfishness before they get trained. And it says, and where there's selfishness, there's disorder and every evil work. Did you know that where there's disorder, that's really a form of selfishness? Did you know selfishness says, I don't feel like picking up after myself. So all of you have to live with my mess. Big I, little you. Amen? Where there's a mess, it's I don't have enough self-control to make myself pick up after myself of my mess that I made. Now all of you are going to have to suffer and live in my mess that I made. You only got quiet there for some reason. But it's disorder. It's disorder. And every evil thing. How many of you have seen kids fighting over their toys? Number one. Number two. How many of you have seen little kids lie? Who took, he took my toy. And make lies up when it's their toys at stake. How many of you have seen little kids lie? How many of you know that sometimes they'll steal the other person's toys and they don't want to give it back? How many of you have seen that evil at work? So, gosh, we've got fighting, we've got lying, we've got stealing. It's almost starting to sound like the Ten Commandments. And then, how many of you have seen kids, well, I want one of those. That, how, how many of you seen little kids covet other people's things? And you wonder why God had to give us the Ten Commandments. And then when they can't have it, when they're coveting it and they wish they had it, how many of you have seen them have a pity party? How many of you ever seen not forgiving and going and sitting in the corner and be mad at their brother or sister? How many of you ever seen that? Unforgiveness. See, they all, it all seems so trite and funny and almost cute, and, and, but, but it's really the seeds of, of horror later on. I said it's the seeds of something terrible later on. It's a monster not yet fully developed. It's called selfishness. Somebody say amen. Not forgiving uh, and, and, and taking theirs. And then when they really get mad, they destroy other people's toys. And they take, well, if I can't have it, I'm going to bust the stupid thing so they don't get to play with it either. I've seen, I, had, I had that done to me when I was a little kid and my cousins. <laughs> I still remember it. No. <laughs> I was so traumatized. I'll never get over it. Just kidding. But you do remember those things. And how many of you know foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child? Foolishness is all can be taken back to selfishness. Selfishness is something we need to do with Cain and Abel. Cain's philosophy is, am I my brother's keeper, really? Isn't it all about me? How many remember Cain and Abel? And he says, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is, yeah, you are. Sorry, Mr. Selfish, but you are. Your brother's keeper. 
And would you say there is selfishness in the, in the mind of a person asking rhetorically, am I my brother's keeper when he didn't want to you know, treat his brother right? And what does it say? And every evil thing. And what did he do to his brother? Killed him. Every evil work emanates from selfishness. There's things in you you don't even know. The works of the flesh, oh my gosh, murder, hatred, all that's based in, in selfishness. And your flesh has the potential to do all of it. If you walk in the flesh, given the right set of circumstances, the, enough provocation over enough time by enough people and enough circumstances, you could end up acting out any one of those things that are listed under the works of the flesh. Even as a Christian, you could, if you get over in your flesh. Can I get an Amen. Well, I don't have murder in my flesh. Well, the Bible says if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. Well, I would never commit adultery. The Bible says if you've even lusted after a woman in your heart, you're an adulterer. I could never do those things. Well, the Bible says, yes, you could. And it's in your flesh. And your flesh is selfish, and your renewed, born-again human spirit is filled with the God kind of love. Can I get an amen? That's why we've got to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. If you'll walk in the Spirit, the Bible says, in Galatians 5.16, you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. If you walk in the Spirit, you'll not walk in selfishness. Somebody say amen. amen. And thank God we don't have to walk in selfishness. We can walk in those high, that higher ground of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, self-control, and all those wonderful things that love and where does love come? It says the love of God is shed abroad in our heart when we're born again. The love of God goes into our heart and it comes out of our heart. We get born again. We go from selfish human love. It's very selfish, very small. To the God kind of love that's very big and very unselfish. And comes only from being born again and having a new nature and walking in the spirit and therefore the love of God flows through us and we become a vessel of God's love instead of our selfishness. And we've got to get out of our flesh for that to happen. Selfishness, it says in Genesis eleven four, we will build ourselves a tower and make a name for ourselves. Everybody say ourselves. You can even get into corporate selfishness. Amen. And what does it say? Where there's selfishness, we just read it in James 3.16. There's disorder and every evil work. And we already said the evil work, like Cain was selfish. And the evil work of murder came out of him and he killed Abel. Well, where there was selfishness at the Tower of Babel, and they said, we will make a name for ourselves. And it says there is confusion and every evil work. And so here you see the confusion. God had to confuse their language and there was complete disorder. Somebody say amen. amen. God's not going to let real selfish people be, have a great concerted effort because they would destroy everything. Lucifer said, I will ascend and I will, and I will be as God. I will ascend above the, th the throne, uh, above the stars of God. I will ascend up to the throne of God and I will be as God. And those are the five infamous I wills of his selfishness made manifest in his outward uh, attack to try to take over heaven. Selfishness is always insubordinate. Selfishness always wants to take over and has no authority because it has no willingness to submit to anything. 
Jeremiah 45 and 5, it says, You are seeking great things for yourselves. Do not seek them. One of the most delusional things you can have is some grandiose idea of yourself and how great you're going to do something. Now, that's one thing to think God's going to use us for wonderful things in the kingdom if we're submitted to him. But you and of yourself, apart from God doing great things, is going to be your utter destruction. Because pride comes before a fall. Can I get an amen? The problem with a self-made man is he worships his maker. And Jeremiah warned them when they got all grandiose about themselves and all heady and full of themselves and how great the things that they were going to do apart from God. I mean, how many of you know God wants you to do great things in God and for the kingdom? That, that's true. And God wants us to be successful in our endeavors. He wants us to be a success. But when you think you're going to go out and build a tower, an occult tower to God so that you can have a great name for yourselves, how many of you know God's going to let that fail? That's going to fall flat on its face. And that's what Jeremiah was talking about. He says, do not seek them like Lucifer. Fallen man is drawn to grandiose selfish ambitions. It's bait. It's bait to the selfish side of man. It appeals to our flesh. It appeals to our ego and narcissism of how great and grandiose I and my works are going to be one day. And it leads you away from a humble, selfless, crucified, laid down life for God. Can I get an amen? Amen. It will lead you away. Let me say that again. It is bait that leads you away from a selfless, crucified, laid down life given for God and his purposes. Amen. And see, Jesus, and and it says that he died for all of us so that we no longer have to live for themselves. Well, let's just turn there. I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians. Jesus died on the cross so we don't have to live for ourselves. So we don't have to be selfish. I'm going to go ahead and turn there quickly. 2 Corinthians 5 and 15. So Jesus even died on the cross for us to not be selfish. A scripture precisely given for the precise purpose to express that one of the reasons why Jesus died on the cross so that we won't be selfish anymore. Let me see if I'm in the right place. I hope I, I think maybe I, I hope I didn't mistranscribe this. And he, and that he died for all that they which live should not live henceforth life unto themselves. Everybody say unto themselves. But unto him which died for them and rose again. The New American Standard says it like this. That Jesus... Death on the cross was so that we would quit living for ourselves. Jesus died on the cross so we would quit living for ourselves. Jesus died on the cross so that we would quit being selfish. How many of you know the love of God is not made known if we're selfish? And so selfishness is very, is very, very, very dangerous thing. We're, let me move along here. You know, there's two very subtle syndromes in the church, more than any place else, where selfishness is kind of undetected, but we have to guard against these two types of selfishness in the church. You know, we, we aren't, you know, most good church people that said on the word aren't going to get up and say, you know, I think I'm the greatest, and I'm going to have this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm, you know, I'm just the greatest. How many of you know not very many church people, if they're, unless they're really not very bright, would ever get up and do that? Because that would broadcast to everybody how selfish you were. 
So selfishness in, in church settings and in things that we deal with daily in and out in the church world are not always overt, obvious, and clear. And sometimes our selfishness is sometimes clear to everybody but us. Sometimes when we get selfish, it's really other people are noticing it, but we're the last one in the room to figure it out. Oh, I'm being selfish. Somebody say amen. So let me give you two warnings as church people. There are two subtle selfish syndromes in the church today. Two very subtle, very selfish. Number one I'm going to talk about is the my ministry syndrome. And then the second one is the my wagon syndrome. You know, my wagon, what on earth is that, Pastor Bill? I'll explain it to you. Both of these subtle things are kind of an entitlement. And let's take a look at it. It's kind of a self-entitlement, and sometimes we've got to be very careful. And self, and we've got to watch this in ourselves. And, 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 and we don't get to judge this on anybody else. Can I get an amen? It's none of your business. Just try to look at anybody else and, and figure this out. And, uh, you know, the my wagon syndrome, it looks like this. Ever watch two children play and take turns? One is in the wagon and the other is pulling it. What I've seen, and I I can remember doing this when I was a kid, and I've seen kids playing and doing this. And usually the little one's out pulling the wagon and the big one's sitting in the wagon. You ever notice that? And you know what? I was always the littlest guy in the room. And I'm still not, like, terribly tall. But I was really small growing up. And I was, and I was, and, and usually, that the way that that kind of just evolved and worked out is the little guy was having to pull the big guy around. Kind of like the way our government works. But after a while, the little guy gets pretty exhausted, and the big guy gets pretty comfortable. So now we have some serious, you know, friction beginning to manifest. And the wagon syndrome, when you watch children play and take turns, one in the wagon, the other pulling it, one gets comfortable in it, and the other gets exhausted pulling it, and finally, out of frustration, says, will you get out and take your turn pulling the wagon like everybody else? And that's a type of Frustration. And selfishness that we ought to make sure that we're not doing to our brothers and sisters in the church house. Can I get an amen? And sometimes we don't realize it. And you know, and again, you can't make judgments on people. Some people's contribution to church is their giving. Other people's contribution is being up on the platform. Some people's contribution, you will never ever see it. And you know nothing about it, but they're making a contribution. So don't ever try to judge people in these things. Can I get an amen? But we need to be guarded against that we don't fall into this. And it's a picture of ministry of helps and perpetual non-serving attenders. There are certain people that carry the service day in and day out, week in and week out. Behind the scenes, they're doing things. Behind the scenes, they're working a very hard job. They're giving a lot of money. And they're supporting the church with finances. Some are supporting the church with prayer. Others are supporting the church by being here and taking care of your kids. Others are supporting the church in all kinds of different and intangible ways. And yet some people... Just ride in the wagon. All week. They wouldn't even think about praying. They come and they enjoy the baby care, the child care. They enjoy the music. They enjoy the sermon, I hope. Maybe not this one, but anyway. (laughs) 
and they get all the benefits of people praying for them, people that tithe, and they don't tithe, and, and, and provide a beautiful building and, and the heat and the cooling and all the amenities of the building, and they get to enjoy all that, and they're riding in the wagon, and they are so comfortable that way, they have never thought once to get out and help pull the wagon. That's selfishness. That is not walking in love. Somebody say amen. amen. All three of you, thank you. It's a spiritual entitlement class like taxpayers and welfare recipients. Uh-oh. Now you're meddling, Pastor Bill. It's a picture of Ministry of Helps and Perpetual Non-Serving Attendees. Spiritual entitlement class like taxpayers and welfare recipients. The recipients get really entitled and they forget what it's like to work. And they've never paid taxes. So therefore they never value the pain in the neck that having to pay your taxes really is. Somebody say amen. I, how, how many here like to pay taxes? Now, why does that not surprise me? I don't like paying taxes because I know my government is very inefficient and very wasteful and there's a lot of people walking away stuff in their pockets full of our money. And there's a lot of people sitting on their rear, their blessed assurance doing nothing and receiving our money that we worked really hard for. Can I get an Amen. Now, if you really have, been, if you've been injured and you are really out of work and you really have problems, I'm the first one. I'll be glad. I'll personally write you a check and help you with my own finances. I won't even go through the government. I'm all for helping people that really need it. Can I get an amen? And you should be too. That's our job as the church. But there's something wrong when there's a perpetual uh, feeling of getting entitled and not getting involved and always being the recipient and never the giver. And it's a burden that gets put on others. And, you know, we, just like at church, we don't have the right to come to church forever and forever and ever and never serve those who have served us. Can I get an amen? We do not have the right to forever come to church and never serve those who have served us. That is not walking in love. That is not walking in love. And your serving may be very small. And nobody, nobody's going to judge you on that. But there should be some place, somewhere, somehow that you can cho- choose to serve other people, especially if they've been serving you. It says, it says in Colossians, let us serve one another. Can I get an amen? amen. There's, there's tons and tons of that phrase, one another's. Look up all the one another's sometime in the scripture. Love one another, serve one another, you know, all kinds of things about one another. And so we need to be sure that, it, that we do that. And, it's, and it is a manifestation of love. Turn with me, and we'll just go there. I'll show you in the, in the scriptures. In Galatians 5, turn there quickly. Galatians 5, 13 and 14. You can't separate love from serving. You cannot separate those two things. That's all there is to it. And we look here and we can see in Galatians 5, 13, it says... For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty as an occasion of the flesh. In other words, well, I'm saved. I'm under grace. I don't have to do anything now. Praise God. I'm just happy. I don't have to be committed to anything ever again in my whole life because that's all under grace. No, 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 no. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but love. But by love serve one another. But by love serve one another. But by love, you're not going to serve one another. By hate, serve one another. By competitiveness, serve one another. 
by egotism, serve one another. <laughs> by jealousy, serve one another. No, there's only one way that's going to keep you serving one another, is that's if you're walking in love. Can I get an amen? And that love is at the top of that list of the fruits of the Spirit. And out of love comes all those things. And out of love comes serving. And if a person's not serving, I'm sorry to have to inform them, they're not walking in love. Somebody say amen. And some people serve outside the church, and they serve people. I tell you what, there's some people that serve people, and they get no thanks. They don't get treated right. And they serve pe- and, and church isn't the only place we serve people. Are you all hearing me tonight? Somebody say amen. You know, I could never do Janice's job where she has to deal uh, with uh, very special needs children. I, I, I don't know if I'd have the patience to do that. I, maybe I should say, I don't know if I've got enough love to do that. Maybe I need to repent it. But it would be hard for me. I don't know if I could do what Dr. Lonnie does and deal with, with sick people every day. I don't know if I could do, you know, what Bob does. And every time, you know, you make an appointment, about eight out of the appointments you make, uh, eight out of ten, they back out on you and don't follow through. I don't know if I, I'd have a hard time having that much love some days. I don't know if I could do some of the things. But you know what? We serve people out of love. Can I get an amen? You know, Samuel, he's selling, uh, you know, all kinds of different financial services and insurance. And, and he says, yep, drove all the way to Oscar's. The other one backed out on me again. And it doesn't seem to bother him. And I'm thinking, Sam, I don't know how you do that. And, and, and he says, well, he says, that's just the way it is. You're serving people in love. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. It's by love that we serve people. Number two, the my ministry syndrome. And quickly, we'll go through this. You know you're not serving in love if your serving is selective. And it's according to something about you instead of about their needs. Now, let me tell you something. First question I want to ask, what is more important, my ministry or other people's needs? Let me say it again. I want to hear a big answer from everybody. What's more important, my ministry or other people's needs? So then does it make any difference what you do? See, that's called selective serving. But see, love is not selective. And serving is based out of love. Somebody say amen. Love is not selective. I will love some people some of the time in some of the ways that I want to do it. No, no, you love all the people all the time, always the way God says to do it. That's the way love is. And what did we just read out of Galatians? We serve out of love. Love is all the time to all people, whatever the need is. It's according to the need, not my ego, not my ministry, not my call, not what I think, not my schedule, not my convenience, not my comfort, not my anything. It's according to the need. Somebody say amen. We don't serve according to my ministry. We serve according to the needs of other people. These are two very different motives. And I've seen people in ministry, and I've been in ministry 25 years, and I've known a lot of preachers, and I've known a lot of church people, and I've, and I've seen a lot of water go under the bridge in over 25 years of ministry. And the people that serve out of, well, my ministry, I'm, I'm not called to that, Pastor Bill. I can't do that. Really? You know, if my kids ever said that, when I said clean the toilet or, or go make your bed, if they said to me, well, that's not my gift. You know what I say to them? Well, it's my house. And you are going to do it. Because that's where the need is. And it's funny how some people, you know, 
it's not my gift. It's not my ministry. In other words, what you're saying is it's all about you. No, it's really about the needs and meeting them. Can I get an amen? And I've seen people that operated off of that paradigm, and there's two, it's very clear, and when you're in ministry for 25 years and you see all these young people come out of Bible school, and you're with a lot of them, and boy, they're talking about how great they're going to be, and by golly, I'm going to have this ministry, and, and I, I go, go do that? No way. That, I, that's not my call. That's not my ministry. And I've seen those people, and they all crash and burn. The my ministry crowd, the selective service crowd, always crashes and burns. Somebody say amen. Is that right, J.D.? You went to Ramah. Is that true? Oh, yeah. But then there's those, the crowd, that their ministry is based on other people's needs. And they're two very different motivations. Now, I know that there's times where God, God wants you, he wants to get you working in your calling and in your gifting, and, and that's fine. But, but how absurd that is, is if my kid, if, if Nate said, well, I'm a running back, I, I'm not a, a, a garbage carry-outer. You know, I take business classes. I don't clean the toilet. No, no, stop, stop, stop. It has nothing to do with your gift and your ability and even your call. It has nothing to do with getting the housework done. Can I get an Amen. Everybody jumps in and does whatever needs to do, needs to be done when that time comes. Can I get an amen? Well, I'm on the choral team. I can't help with dishes. I play basketball. I can't babysit. What? Where did this logic come from? If it needs to get done, it needs to get done, somebody. Say amen. And so... It's not my ministry that drives any of that. It's the needs of things that needs to be done that drives that. The driving force of my ministry syndrome is I only do what I am comfortable with and I only do what contributes to my ministry. Egotism, narcissism, it's all about you. It's selfishness. Recognize it, deal with it, combat it, kill it. Put it to death. Somebody say amen. Do not do that to your fellow workers. Do not do that to the congregation that has needs. I always do what meets the needs of others, is what we should be saying. Those being ministered to and the tired ministry of helps that are ministering out there that need my help and for me to not bail out on them. Do nothing from selfish conceit, the Bible says. And by love, we serve one another. Love doesn't leave others. And shorthanded or, or, or any other thing. We need to recognize that when we walk in love, uh, that we have to have a sense of self-sacrifice. Jesus' love was manifested through his self-sacrifice. Can I get an amen? <clears throat> I'm trying to cut some of this out because we're, right, we're out of time. It does manifest in many subtle ways our selfishness, and we don't recognize it always. But we need to recognize it. Because love is what we're here for, right? Love doesn't stay home from church and leave all the work to others. Proverbs 18.1, it says, He who separates himself seeks his own desire. Let me say that again, Proverbs 18.1. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He who sacrifices himself for the greater good of the group 
loves other people. Can I get an amen? He who comes and sacrifices at church and gives their time, their talent, and their treasure. He's not seeking for himself. He's seeking for the needs of others first. Everybody say, that's love. Hebrews 10.24 says, consider one another. And verse 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of one another together. It says, consider one another. To consider one another is to not forsake one another. Can I get an amen? Love doesn't selectively serve based on whether it fits my ministry, my schedule, my comfort zone. But rather, it always does what the needs are. And tonight I want to leave you with that. And I know we're running late. It's, it's already 8.30. But do this. Don't, don't, don't apply these litmus tests to other people, whatever you do. Can I get an amen? We're not here to judge anybody. There may be nobody that needs this message here tonight. But you know what? Someday you might need it when you feel like being selfish. Because I'll guarantee you, I feel like getting selfish all the times. All kinds of times. And I'm the pastor. I know how selfishness will creep up on you. I know how selfishness will be there in the morning when you wake up. I know how selfishness when you get tired and you get worn out by people and, and all of a sudden you can feel selfishness begin to rise up on you. I mean, I'm getting sick of this. I'm getting sick of this guy. Just keep on serving. Just keep on walking in love. Serving is love made manifest or love lived out. That's what serving is. Love one another and serve one another and God will bless your life. And beware and guard against the subtleties and the justifications of selfishness. Let's all stand up. We'll be dismissed. Amen.